Would you please join your hearts together with mine in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful evening, a day which you have given to rest in your word. We pray that you would guard our hearts from distraction, open our ears to hear your word, and that we would trust in who you have made us to be through your Son, Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. Have you ever had the opportunity to play tag with a kid on a playground? Um, or just listened to kids playing tag on a playground. Not, not watched kids play tag on a playground, but listened to kids play tag on a playground. You may be wondering what this has to do with anything. But if you've listened closely to kids playing tag, the game starts off very simply. We're going to run around, and the person who's it is going to tag the other person. And then they're it. Those are the initial terms. But soon, soon, the terms start to get negotiated. Okay, well, I tagged you, so you can't tag me back for at least five seconds, but now there's a base over there, and if I'm standing at the base, you can't stand really close to the base and just wait for me to get off the base, because that's, we used to call it babysitting, but now I've heard it's called puppy sitting, and so you can't work by those terms, because the terms are going to change, you know, and as the game goes on, it seems it's never ending on the changes of it. All of a sudden, there's boundaries on how far you can run, and if you're too fast, then you can't run that fast. You have to walk, because the ones that are slower can't keep up, and they can't tag you, and they get tired, and it's exhausting. Not running and playing tag. It's exhausting trying to keep up with all the differing terms and changes that keep coming up in the middle of the game, and all of a sudden, it's no fun anymore. But if you haven't played tag, maybe, maybe you've um, tried to fill out a credit card application, right? You fill out a credit card application, and you get through all the stuff that makes sense, you know, like name, address, and all the other stuff they ask you. I forget all the other stuff they ask you right now. But down at the bottom, there's some little part about terms and conditions, about what may apply to you know, the credit. I, what I want you to do next time you get one of those blank ones in the mail, even if it's not your name, fill out all the name and all the stuff. And down at the bottom... Start highlighting and writing notes about how you would like the terms to be different, okay? So, like, take the part where it says something to the effect of uh, your interest rate may be anywhere between 10 and 25, and I want you to cross it out, right? I'd like it to be negative 0.25. And just see what they do. I mean, it's only 0.25, but that way, you know, maybe if you overpay, then they pay you interest on this side. I think that would work out really well. And see what they do. If you change all that, see if they honor your change of their terms and conditions. I, I think they might laugh a little. Might be the first response, but I don't think they're probably going to honor your change of their terms and conditions on those things, most likely. You know. Or if, if you go to a place of work, see if you can find the employee handbook and do everything opposite and see how long you get to work there. I know when I worked at Islands, I had to wear a certain color shoes, a certain color pants, a certain style Hawaiian shirt. And if I didn't wear those particular things, they would ask me to go home or go to the closest thrift store to go get them. Because I was, I was there as a manager, I had to look the part of a manager. And if I didn't look the part of a manager, then no one knew I was the manager. And all of a sudden, I had to go and go change what I had on in order to come to work for that shift because I wasn't working under their terms and conditions. The Pharisees have been coming to Jesus this entire time trying to figure out how he fits within their terms. You see, it's been several hundred thousands of years as they've been looking forward to this Messiah and this guy comes along 
and they can't quite figure out where his authority is coming from because it doesn't fit within their scheme of things. And they're saying, look, we know you're doing things that are outside of what it makes sense for a guy to do. You're doing things that it only God could do, but you're also a man. So where are you getting this authority? Because it doesn't fit in our terms and conditions that we have laid out in the 600 some odd laws we've added to the 10 God gave us. Okay. So they're trying to figure out what the terms of this agreement are. They're trying to figure out what the terms of this guy is who is coming in and changing life for them. Because they like their terms. They like being the noted ones in the marketplace. They like being the ones in authority. They like being the ones who get to set the law and get to set the standard for everything. They like that role. So for somebody to come in and change their terms, they got to know where his authority is coming from. And so Jesus speaks one more parable. Okay, Last week, I kind of talked about how the Pharisees must have been slightly exasperated at this second parable coming along. Well, here's a third one for them, right? And he says, okay, it's not a vineyard anymore. Now it's a wedding feast. And the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast where the king has had everything prepared to honor his son. Notice every single one of these parables, there's a son in there, right? Especially the vineyard and the wedding feast one. The king is doing something to honor his son. His son is going to be honored. His son is going to be glorified and celebrated. His son is the center point of this wedding feast. And all the people that were supposed to be worthy to be invited were invited. God, you know, the king invited everybody who should have been there, the who's who of society. And as those invitations came out and the servants came out to give those invitations, the guys said, Nah. And so the servants came back. They said, King, no one. You can imagine him going, <laughs> all right, maybe they, maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they didn't get the fact that, you know, all of my prized animals are slaughtered and ready for this feast. All of the good wine is present and ready for this feast. All of the things that need to be here for this feast are taken care of. Nothing is upon their shoulders other than to hear my word. And come to the feast. So the servants go back out. And the guys again said, eh, pretty indifferent. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go to my farm. Except for a handful of the guys that went, I'm going to slaughter you and kill you to the servants. So some of the servants didn't even make it back to the king. Okay? Here's the thing. This parable, we love wedding feasts, right? We think of weddings as joyous, wonderful, beautiful occasions. And they are, but this isn't that parable. That's a different parable where we get to see the beauty of a wedding feast. This parable scares me to death because this is one where we see God's sovereignty and God's judgment as the king within this parable. You see, these guys that were invited who slaughtered all of the servants and killed the servants and treated them shamefully and you know the rest of the servants hightailed it out of there and got back to the king and the king heard word of it, what did he do? He went and killed the murderers and burned their cities. Well, that's not a good way to get people to your wedding feast. So he went in and he had judgment and justice as a king. He enacted the justice that he should have enacted in that point and judgment that he should have enacted as king in that spot. But again, it's on his terms. 
So then he looks at his servants one more time and says, look, bring anybody in. Just go. Go out into the roads. Go into the main roads. Don't even go for individual invitations anymore to each specific person. Just grab anybody you can find, good and bad. Bring them in. Bring them into the wedding feast. This hall is going to be filled. My son is going to be glorified. My son is going to be celebrated. This wedding is going to be beautiful. So they brought everybody in. The good, the bad. And I love that short little verse right there. The good and the bad. God told them, bring them all in. I've got everything prepared for them. I've got everything ready. I've got everything set aside for them to sit and be taken care of and for my son to be honored. The wedding feast seems to be going swimmingly, wonderfully, and the king is walking around with a filled wedding hall. And as he's walking around, he notices one guy. Now, had every right as king, just kick him out. But he didn't. He had a conversation with him real quick. Right? So, friend, uh, how'd you get in here without the wedding garment? And whatever we want to make that wedding garment to be, there's a lot of talk and a lot of theologians and a lot of folks that'll say every society in history had a wedding garment, that the host provided it. Very well may be, but it's kind of hard to track down. And then there's a, a lot of you know, scriptural writers that'll say, well, a wedding garment is either faith or it's this or it's that. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, it's something provided by the host in order to make you worthy to be there. And here's a guy standing there on his own terms. Okay? He said, I'm going to come in as I am. I'm going to come in and you're going to need to accept me for who I am and how I am. And I'm not going to come in on your terms, I, king. I'm going to come in on my terms. So here I am. The king looks at him. How'd you get in? Without what I've provided for you, how did you get in? And I want you to all to very loudly shout his response. Exactly. He didn't have one. He had no words. There was nothing that he had to respond. He had no way to stand before this king and say, well, here's you know, why I did what I did. Not at all. He had no leg to stand on. Nothing. It's a lot of times that folks come into the church or they come into God's Word, and we do a lot of times. We'll say, God, here I am. Accept me for who I am, except I'm not going to change my terms. I'm going to come in on my terms. I'm going to hold on to these sins because I like them a lot, so I'm going to stick them over here in this pocket. I'll give you these during confession. You can forgive these. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that but I'm going to hold on to these. I don't want to let go of these. Um, I'm just going to trust that you're going to be merciful, that you'll let me in any way, that you're going to be okay with the fact that I don't want to let go of anything. And in fact, as I read your word, God, and hear you, I hear your term saying that these are okay. And so I'm just going to live with these. And you're going to have to deal with it. The king pretty much answers, uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't have to deal with it. Because you don't get to set the terms. The king does. God sets the terms. God sets the terms for who are at the wedding feast. God sets the terms for those who are welcomed in. And remember, he invited and had corralled in all the bad and the good. 
And in that crowd, they were all covered by his grace and mercy except for the one guy. People come in and they hear God's word. However it comes to you in life, however it comes to them in life, as they hear God's word, they hear that invitation to the wedding feast. As they're baptized in his name, they're covered in Christ's righteousness. They're given an identity. They're given an identity as welcome. They're given an identity as children of God. They're given an identity as saved and sanctified and made righteous all because of what Christ has done on their behalf. Those are the ones covered in the wedding garment. Those are the ones sitting at the wedding feast celebrating the sun. Those are the ones enjoying the celebration. The little smidgen of a taste that we get at the Lord's Supper where Christ hides himself under the bread and the wine, thinking of our loved ones who have gone before us on the other side of the table enjoying a feast of beautiful meal, a feast of beautiful food, of gorgeous wine, of joy without sadness, of life without pain, of health without sickness, life without death or mourning or depression or any of that. They're sitting in the presence of the Son, the wedding feast for eternity, made righteous by all that God has done by His hand alone because they're there on His terms. They're there because of who He has made them to be. And you're covered in that righteousness too. Baptized in God's name, you carry that promise and that righteousness now. Both good and bad brought to that promise of God that he would do everything for you to make you worthy to be in the kingdom. And the one thing he says is you come in on my terms. You don't get to have my terms put on you and then thrown to the side. See, within that parable, it's very possible that that guy that had the thing, had the wedding garment and whatnot, walked in and decided, you know what, I don't want to wear this and threw it off to the side. It's very possible as well. So when the king saw it, he just said, you can't be in here on your own terms. It's not the way it works. Just like you can't write a credit card company and reset the terms, and just like you can't argue with an eight-year-old about the terms of tag. Trust me, I've tried. You cannot. It does not work. You cannot reason your way through them. So we sit, hearing who we are, as God's children, made so on his terms. And his terms are to be covered in the blood of Christ, to be saved by his son, to sit and celebrate his son as he's risen from the dead, conquered death, and hands over that same promise of life to us. And he says, all right, go out to the main roads. Invite the good and the bad. Bring them all in to hear my word so that more and more would hear of my love for them and my grace and my mercy to come so that when that final day comes, that Christ comes and that wedding feast is actually starting to begin in full, that there would be as many as possible there to fill that wedding hall in heaven. Amen. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for claiming us in baptism where you have placed your name upon us and call us your children. We thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf and more than that, live again to hand us life. 
and that you have covered us in the wedding garment of Christ's righteousness, so that we would be worthy, not because of what we claim to be, but because you, who you have made us to be, so that we will sit with you, celebrating your son at the marriage feast of the Lamb, where the bride of the church and the bridegroom of Christ are brought together. Let me pray, Lord, that you hold on to us in faith, that you guide us by your Spirit, that you guard us each day from anything that would tempt us to take off that righteousness or lead us away, but that you would continually guide us unto you. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.